Welcome to another special giveaway episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Dan, and with me today is Adam. Hello. And uh, we just wrapped up another giveaway. The winner this time around was Alex, who goes by Onanimous on Instagram. And Which drives me nuts. It's almost anonymous, but he swapped the O and the A. So yeah. 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 No, you, you're not wrong. And as is tradition, we let him choose the topic for us to focus on for this very special episode. So along with some minis, a pop Funko, and some dice, he chose to have us devote a little special time to Eric Okra. But before we jump into those DM fucking nightmares, Alex wants to make sure that we take the time to appreciate one D&D player in particular, a player named Monty Clark. Monty is directly responsible for Alex getting into Dungeons and Dragons a year and a half ago and has run an incredibly successful campaign of Princes of the Apocalypse for a full table of six players. Oh, nicely done. And not only is that a crazy feat because it's largely considered to be one of the most lackluster books that's been published, but apparently it went above and beyond the norm by tying in player twists and crazy additions that he created himself. Well done, man. So he sounds like a great DM, and it's no wonder that he's flared up Alex's passion for D&D, as well as a shit ton of other board games. He's even helped guide Alex's younger brother into the world of D&D by organizing special sessions, which is totally on brand for someone who spends so much of his free time volunteering and helping others. So from Alex, your players at your table, and us at It's a Mimic, if you're listening to this, Monty, then you should know that you have the utmost respect and admiration. So now we're going to get into the nitty gritties of the Aarakocra. Aarakocra? Aarakocra. Aarakocra. Uh, but before we do, we should point out that they are featured heavily in some of the portions of Princes of the Apocalypse and Tomb of Annihilation. Um, but other than that, there's not a whole lot left elsewhere. Um, besides like a one-page spread in the Monster Manual. So we're relying a lot on these books for this info. We're going to try to stay spoiler-free as we can, but because we're diving deep into two straight-up campaign settings, uh, your spoiler warning ahead. Yeah, there's going to be shit that we cannot avoid here. Yeah. So um, if you're going to play Tomb of Annihilation specifically, it's got a big portion of it where you go to visit Aarakocra. Aarakocra. Yeah, God. it'll be all over the place, guys. Yeah. yeah, it's it's us. You know you know what to expect by now. So, um, Asmodeus, actually, actually, this episode got me looking into pronunciations again, just because of Aarakocra. Yeah, which is why if you go to the subreddit, I actually threw up a um, uh, link in uh, like, like a the pronunciation thread, guide, the pronunciation guide from uh, En World, which goes back editions to yeah, so yeah. The, but specifically, I called you out, Dan, for not being able to actually speak like a human being. I speak just fine, thanks. <laughs> you done talk goodly. <laughs> so I speak. <laughs> Am I the Jar Jar Binks of this podcast? Yes. Oh. Yes, you are. I'm sad now. That's okay because Brad is the three PO. <laughs> Megan's the Han Solo. Dave's the R two D two. Um. No, Dave is the Chewbacca. Big hairy grunts. Nobody. Really knows what he's talking about because Eberron, and then off he goes to do whatever it is. Who's over Terry? There. Uh, Terry is Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, I wouldn't give him that much credit. He's the guy that 
is, uh, what, is enough what, of your sorceress ways, Vader. That's Terry. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about what exactly Aarakocra are. I looked this up, and a, the the a, double A is the same as it is in uh, New Canaan, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the word Canaan, the second syllable has two A's and makes an and sound. It says it's the same A sound as the word happy, but starting off in a era a era. Man, it's been fucking with me all all week. So, anyways, Aarakocra is the okay. official pronunciation. Uh, it's with an O. It's not an Aarakocra, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, that's a lot of jokes that I just had to get rid of. So, um, zip back just up had, and put away. I had to tuck them back down one pant Just had to and, circumcise those jokes off yeah, of... Exactly. Yeah, okay. So, anyway, these are medium-sized bird people with arms and legs and wings. Okay. If you don't know anything else about them... They're just bird people. They're anthropomorphic birds. They have beaks, feathers, and talons. They tend to be lawful good, according to the Monster Manual. But like all intelligent races, their alignment can vary wildly. Yeah, I mean, that tracks. I mean, they always kind of have this air of regality to them. So I kind of expect them to be lawful good. And them being from the um, plane of air, that also tracks for me. That That's always been the more... Uh, in that end of the spectrum, on the elemental plane, it's the one that is closest to Mount Celestia and everything. That's yeah. where the lawful good area is. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. The interesting thing about the Aarakocra, and you see it with dragons and griffins and pretty much anything that is related to flying or birds, except for, of course, Kenku and uh, wyverns. In most other fantasy you don't have front arms or front legs or whatnot if you have wings. Mm-hmm. Standard fantasy dragons just have two legs and big-ass wings. They don't do a whole lot of crawling around. Uh, this actually sent me down a bit of a rabbit trail a few years back of just utter rage with other versions of the game, other editions, other um, tabletop RPGs, and even Game of Thrones. I think it's where it came out. It was Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. Yeah. They had the dragons. They called them dragons in Game of Thrones. I'm like, they got hind legs and wings. They're wyverns. They're wyverns. Those are just wyverns. They're not dragons. She's not the mother of dragons. She's the mother of wyverns. (laughs) So um, it's interesting because I have seen with a lot of anthropomorphic birds and cartoons and shit as well. They have essentially little talons at the ends of their wings. Or they've got wings that hang off their arms. And that's not the case with these guys. They're like angels. They have arms. And fucking bird wings at the back. Yeah, not not bird wings with little hooks to grab things. No. Just wings. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's going to take us to the next point here, which is a lot of people will just make any anthropomorphic bird and call it an Aarakocra. Um, But that's kind of bird racist. Yep. Yeah. So it specifically says in the Elemental Evil Player's Companion that they are parrots or eagles. Yeah, hard stop. Yeah. Which is weird. Um, females have muted colors like brown and gray. And males have bright reds and oranges and yellows, which is odd when you think about eagles and bright reds and greens and yellows and those colors. But sure. The point is, by canon, Aarakocra are not cranes. They're not sparrows. They're not geese. They're not penguins. You can't have a chicken, Aarakocra. You can't have a pelican or an owl or an ostrich. Allegedly. It's almost not worth thinking about. Yeah. And I mean, this makes sense. I One of my big problems with Aarakocra is they have always at my tables ended up being gag characters where you have a big 
Crane or or uh, one of my buddies wanted to play Howard the Duck, so he just played an Aarakocra. And I'm like... And honestly, a lot of the artwork that you find on Google and stuff, it's for like the owl Aarakocra and that kind of stuff. And if that's how you want to play it at your table, that's fine. fine. But yeah. if you're going to be Adventure League or you're sticking to the material, and um, you know, strictly, then it's kind of a mix between parrot and eagle and it's funny previous editions had a lot of things that looked like parrots and they even had the little hands at the end of the wings too like mm-hmm. there's been a redesign for fifth ed and apparently it's all eagles as far as the eye can see now yeah i mean how many there's there's not in terms of like miniatures there's not a lot of options for eric there's one and it looks like an eagle yeah and i have one and i broke it and i was very upset because it was rare so yeah um one of the other things about their wings is the big complaint that everyone has Yes, these motherfuckers can fly. They're fast when they fly. They're able to travel up to 50 feet per round. At level one, you suck. I hate you as a DM. So, (laughs) this is probably because of their light body weight and hollow bones. Interesting sidebar. There is a puzzle. Here's one of the spoilers. There is a puzzle. There's a trap in one of the campaigns. I won't say which. Where there is a um, flood that comes into a room and you're going to drown. But there are a bunch of Aarakocra bones littered throughout this room. If you break the wax seal on them, you can actually breathe the air in their hollow bones. And that's how you're supposed to survive. That's metal as shit. Right? So, um, yes, they have 50 foot movement speed. But they only have 25 foot per round um, walking speed. Unless they're an NPC, at which point they can only move 20 feet. In the Monster Manual, it's 20 but for players, they get 25 feet. That's fair. They they don't want to make them small, uh, slower than the small races, right? Yeah. And I would also assume that they're slower because they've got, you know, average, um, uh, like they've got talons. And also they've got the double jointed knee and ankle. Like they've got a weird double. They chicken walk everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's, they, they do have a weird, strange gait to them and how they move. When you're going to play a monk, Dan, and you get this increase to your movement speed or the barbarian or the dozens of ways that you can get these increases it's for walking speed it's not for flying speed right uh no i i would actually disagree you would add all of that to the fly speed as well i 100 percent. unless it says it specifically unless it specifically says this is to your climb or or to your walking speed if it's just movement it's to everything um my the reason why i do this the reason why um it's twofold. One, I played a tiefling variant uh, bard at one point in time, who uh, had the tiefling variant. The tiefling, the tiefling variant I had had uh, the bat wings, right? And he was flying. Um, we're gonna get into why having a PC that could fly at will is a pain in the ass for any tier one campaign. Later on, you could start to deal with it, but tier one, you. You solve a lot of problems just by being able to fly. Um, but it made me realize if you are using mechanical flight in some way, you have wings, you are actually, motion is happening to keep your body aloft, you're not hovering, right? So if you have a fly speed and you take levels of monk, you put in that thing, you are going to be able to use that while you fly because why the hell else wouldn't you? Because it's not like you're walking down the street hovering the entire way because you can't do that. 
You're either walking or, or you're, you're flapping. Or you're flapping fast and, f- and as far as you could go. So I would say, you know what, you, you make a good point. Normally, I am going to say that I want it for walking speed only. Um, look, your boots of elven kind or whatever that magically make you faster. Uh, I, I'm sorry, guys. It's boots, it's on feet. The magic affects your walking speed. I don't know, it could affect your swimming speed. I don't, but I don't think, kick. yeah, okay, but I, I don't think it can affect your fly speed. So my point is, talk it over with your DM yeah, and yeah. be specific. When you start to choose subclasses and classes and class features and whatnot because of the crazy movement speed, make sure your DM is going to say that that's okay before you level up to the next thing and then get disappointed at the table. Yeah. The other thing we want to point out here with the whole movement thing, speed thing being 25 feet, they kind of max out at five feet tall. These aren't the massive regal, um, like standing shoulder and shoulder with your Goliath level eagle characters. Their wingspan might be large, sure, but they are at most really five feet tall. Yeah. So they're, they're everything in D and D is short. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Like, there's nothing. You get it's one of the reasons why I like half works. Because I'm a tall person, I find it hard to put myself in the frame of mind of someone like middling height. Oh, just if I need to be just super pretend, short, just pretend you're your own penis. Five feet tall? Yeah, okay. I could, I could, I could track that. I need to see a doctor at some point. <laughs> oh, for more than just that reason, delusion seems to be why you need to go see a doctor. Anyway, so no, the I just noticed that like Goliaths, um, orcish blood, and uh, and like hobgoblins. No, even hobgoblins. Hobgoblins are human sized. Yeah, but I mean, uh, my point is, there's nothing really like humans are up there. The yeah, average, the average yeah. six foot human is is big. I you mean, spend in, a lot of your time looking down. In the in three point five, elves were significantly shorter than humans. I'm not sure if they are significantly shorter. Not now significantly, but because they are they, they moved over more towards that Tolkien version of an elf rather than what they were before, which was far more fey and angular. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyways, uh, these birds are middling height. Yeah, which is probably why they end up getting mistaken for large birds. Yeah. Right? When they're up in the skies. Yeah, well, they tend to stick to the skies. Um, and it says in one part in Tomb of Annihilation that it takes a passive perception score of 15 to be able to identify any sort of Aarakocra soaring over overhead. Um, but, I mean, this is going to change depending on whatever the circumstances are. Sure. I mean, if it's foggy at nighttime, then yeah. it's going to be harder. And if they're closer, whatever, it'll be easier. And if you are an Aarakocra monk, Aarakocra monk, Aarakocra, Aarakocra monk, and you're flying through the skies at, I don't know, 80 feet around, because you could, um, I'm going to add more difficulty to that, because you are just a blur. You are a bird, a plane, and Superman all at once. Sure. I'm... Carrying the gnome. Now now you're a passenger jet. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends, too. If they're carrying something, like, they're not going to look like a bird. There's going to be different ways. But, I mean, when you see just a bunch of these creatures that are circling overhead, way, way up in the sky, and you can't quite tell how far up, it's very likely that I would have Aarakocra be um, really good scouts because they would get ignored a lot of the time. We actually had a little bit of this discussion, not specifically about Aarakocra, but a lot of people could be like, oh man, you'll be able to tell the difference between Aarakocra and an eagle. I don't know. That high up, I really don't know. Because we were sitting there, I was playing my gnome, and he had a familiar who was a raven, and we looked up the size of actual ravens 
whose wingspan is something like three and a half feet or something. Like, ravens are big, man. They're ravens big as are, are ravens are big ass birds, and eagles are even bigger. E- eagles are even bigger. Uh, but like for the life of me, before I started reading this, I did not think there was any difference between a crow and a raven. I thought they were one and the same. Nah, man, you could punt a crow. I mean, punt it hard because it'll remember if you d- if if you don't end it. Yeah. But, uh, don't mess with a raven. It'll 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 ruin your day. It'll scheme yeah. as well. Anyways, back to Eric Hoker. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I thought was a little bit fucky that I found is the languages they speak. So in the Monster Manual, it says that they speak Orin. Primordial. Which is a dialect of primordial, <laughs> but it's Orin. Yeah. So all of the different elemental languages can understand each other to a point, but the nuances of... of it's like Mandarin and Cantonese. Is it? I don't even know how Mandarin and Cantonese work. Mandarin and Cantonese are very similar languages. Uh, if you speak Mandarin, you can understand Cantonese. If you speak Cantonese, you can understand Mandarin. But you probably can't write in it or but, have trouble Well, no, reading. no. Writing's, writing's mostly going to be the same, too. But you can tell instantly if you are a Mandarin speaker speaking to a Cantonese speaker. Okay. Right? Like so, it's like it's like a Texan accent to a British accent. There's yes. going to be some words that are a little bit different, but for the most part, it's going to be the fuck's a trolley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, now it was a terrible Texan accent. Oh my god! All of your accents were terrible. I'm just glad that you kept it in the United States this time. Uh, in the Elemental Evil Player's Companion, it actually says that there's an Aarakocra language. And that all Aarakocra speak, sorry, Aarakocra speak it. But they also speak it on top of Orin and Common. There's no other mention anywhere of the Aarakocra language. So, according to the lore presented to the players, their Common is a bit weird as well. And they communicate with a mismatch of, like, spoken words and clicks and trills and whistles. And they even have these quirks as part of their names. But usually they use these vocal additions to, in speech to add nuance and subtlety the way that people use facial expressions, for example. Mm-hmm. This actually has been known to create frustration between Aarakocra and other humanoids because they often don't understand sarcasm, threats, or jokes because of that natural language barrier. So it takes them a while to really understand. It's not that they're literal. It's that they just don't understand your colloquialisms. It's... Uh... I'm, I'm going to go with another obscure reference. It's like sign language. Uh, if you are learning how to sign, you understand just how important facial expression is. It's not just hand movements. It's just not speaking through hand movements. Where your eyebrows sit on your face as you are signing matters to the context of what you're signing. Yeah. So, Yeah, so these mannerisms, these vocal tics and stuff are really interesting. This is going to, for me as a player, be a stumbling block. I don't like all of these weird vocal patterns and issues and ticks and whatnot. What I would like to do is say, uh, I'm going to run forward and I'm going to say this. And I'm just going to use my voice. But it's going to be understood that I've got trills and clicks and whistles and stuff in it. And my dungeon master should be able to flavor it in. Oh, when they hear you, they there's a particular whistle so they don't understand exactly what you mean. Say it again. Right? Yeah. And so... We'll get the flavor of it without having to role play through this kind of ridiculous shit. It's like the Kenku. Yeah, I I 
I find the Kenku more annoying in their vocal patterns, to be honest. It absolutely is more annoying, but I don't think that Eric Oak would get away scot-free on this. But this, this to me, feels like one of those notes that is not necessarily for a player unless you have a bunch of professional voice actors around the table. Yeah. Um, it's, it's for a DM to justify a failed social check of some sort, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's good, too, for an NPC. If you don't have an Aarakocra in the party and an NPC walks up, as a dungeon master, I'm not worried about doing the voice and getting all of this stuff right because, for fuck's sakes, I've got enough other shit going on. <laughs> but if I'm going to have an Aarakocra-heavy campaign and whatnot, it's going to come up repeatedly. Yeah. There's going to have to be insight checks and um, and maybe even history checks for Aarakocra because it says that the more that you've been around humans, the better you get at it. At, at this level of communication as well. So um, it can be really hard to play Aarakocra. It can, yeah. To to cross that realm into playing is... is Like I said, it's one of the reasons why I've never really played... I've played an Aarakocra, actually. You did play one, but it was in like a one-shot. Yeah, it was, it was in a one-shot. Anyways, it, getting into that... Bur- like the one thing around the table that I see when I've seen Aarakocra be played is uh, the, the body posture... If you are playing one as a player, changing your body posture could help, but you don't necessarily have to do like the the neck twists and like don't go full bird person, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, Yeah, but also don't go full bird person either, which is the Rick and Morty reference I'm making where he's just totally deadpan. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like you're still a person. You're just, you see the world slightly differently and you communicate in a different way. Yeah, you got a bird's eye view. Anyways, Aarakocra also <laughs> resemble birds in other in a number of other ways. Uh, like they groom their feathers constantly. Um, they are attracted to shiny things, but I mean, who isn't? And uh, they enjoy diving for fish for food. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, that actually brings up um, in the material that if they have the option to land in water, they will. I mean, that makes sense. They got those soft, hollow bones. Water is going to be a softer land than landing on water. Or, sorry, landing on land. Or watering on land. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, uh, they tend to reach maturity at three years old. Well, birds are like that, too. Yep. And they live about 30 years, which gives them uh, quite short life priorities. Like, um, your average human goes to, I think it's 80, 75, 80. In, in, the, in, in the Monster in, Manual. In the Monster yeah. Manual or in the Player's Handbook. Um, so these guys have got to do what they're doing in their short lifespan and they know it. Yeah. They also have a number of bird mannerisms that can make them seem foreign or weird, but it works for them. One of their main combat tactics, for example, is swooping down from above and attacking with javelins or talons, then soaring away and circling again. They dive bomb. Terry would love them. Yeah. And honestly, this is the thing that pisses off DMs more than anything else. Yeah. Um, According to the monster manual, any dive bomb attack that includes plummeting 30 feet at an enemy will do additional damage, but this doesn't seem to apply to players for some reason. Uh, yeah, and it I'm starting to really see the difference now between uh, with the Aarakocra players and the Aarakocra monsters or NPCs. Yeah. You can see the holes in the design here. There are some real issues that wizards didn't think about when they were trying to make these congruous you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah yeah so it's 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 kind of like uh we we were reading the uh the monster manual version of the i think it's the goliath versus the 
Goliath we see in Theros. Is it Theros? I think it's the Elemental Evil Player's Companion. Yeah. Like, there's some things that don't line up there as well. And even just in flavor text, right? Like, there's... You even get little bits and pieces of that with Goblinoids and things. And it it just goes to show you that you should understand the flavor... And then apply the fact that you are a hero, even at level one. Yeah. The rules do not apply to you for whatever reason, right? You are different. You are chosen. You are unique. Whatever it is, your play tactics are going to be slightly different. And a lot of times for me, I justify that by saying, I'm in and around other humanoids. I act differently. Yeah. My party is more important to me than my base cultural issues until I'm in the culture, right? But if I'm walking around um, and I've got uh, certain limitations or I don't get extra bonuses, maybe the dive bombing thing is really cool. And I can do that occasionally. My DM will let me get it once per long rest, but it fucking rattles me and it scares everyone around. Oh, yeah. So I don't do it. And that that's my justification. You got to start thinking outside the box when it comes to these incongruencies between the monster manual and the player's. Well, a- any any player uh, species outside of the player's handbook is going to have a little bit of this um, lack of lining up that's going to happen. And you've, you've got to justify it from a lore standpoint more than a mechanic standpoint, I find. Like, based off the lore, there's not really any reason for you to ever play a lizard folk PC. But people do. Based off the lore, there's no real reason for you to play a hobgoblin, heroic, lawful good character. Doesn't make sense, but you do. So there's going to be some justification there. Apply that kind of same stuff to why the mechanics are different, though. Is the mechanics the the mechanics? Yeah, yeah. I I usually justify that by saying you know that you have been like you said you've been so involved in culture for so long, or or more specifically removed from your the, own culture your yeah. own culture that you don't have these certain level of abilities yeah so another noteworthy detail um while we're talking about exactly who eric Oker are is that they don't seem to really have any major political structures outside of following their elders and they tend to exist in small numbers there are a couple of mentions of monks and is it shamans Dad? shamans is that how you say shamans it? shamans that so that stuff does exist here and there in the books, but there are very few details given as to what these monks or these shamans are doing, mm-hmm. what magics they have, uh, you know, access to, or what the monks are able to do as well, right? Like what special monk abilities or thought processes or whatever um, they can have as well. So it's interesting to me that there was enough thought put into it without there being any real thought put into it. Mm-hmm. And you could tell because this is a race that comes from one of the early 5th edition days, right? The the Elemental Evil, the Princes of the Apocalypse, is one of the first modules that was printed. Yeah. And like Tyranny of Dragons, it doesn't hold up too well these days now that we're a little bit deeper into Yeah, we 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 now know what the plot of 5e is, what the like what the feel of 5e is. They didn't. They were building And, and with, we know the balance a little bit better too with the bounded accuracy yeah. and the uh and the action economy. So like we are starting to see now it's balanced better, especially in the other campaign settings yeah. um, that have come out, the Ravnicas and the Eberrons and whatnot. So the early ones, the fact that, like I said earlier in the episode, this guy Monty 
had a successful Prince of the Apocalypse campaign is fucking unheard of. Yeah. Right. And and more props to Monty for that. Yeah. So I'm I'm just I am kind of shocked by how little thought was put in to this incredibly popular, um, lesser known though, uh race, right? There are people that absolutely love them if they know they exist. Now, to give Wizards of the Coast a little bit of leeway on this, because I feel like I'm shitting on them, there are not many Aarakocra. Their population size is very, very small. Well, they're not from the material plane. Even outside, like, even in the plane of air, they don't, they don't have big numbers. There are very, very few of them. And there are only a handful of outposts on the material plane where they're actually from. And again, even those outposts are small. So where they are is going to matter a lot more than how many there are at this point. Because we've now determined that there's not going to be a whole hell of a lot. So most Aarakocra, yes, got it right that time, live in the elemental plane of air. There is a massive eternal storm called the Howling Gyre. Gyre. The gyroscope. Okay, the Howling Gyre that whips winds and rain around, but inside is a peaceful space called Aka. Is it or is it is it is it Aka? Is it? I don't know. There's no pronunciation. It's A A Q A. The only thing I know is that there's no there's no wa sound. It's yeah. not aqua because there's no u in it. It's still that like oh you're starting off with the a from the word happy. A ak aka aka fuck. I, I think it's aka. Do your best. Only uh, the main reason is because you're playing a bird person. So aka. Is that is that where you come that from? That is literally my entire training. But they're not mind. crows. <laughs> you're fine. I mean, you're not going to find a lot of kenku in the elemental plane of air. What? Yeah, they just keep falling. Though. Yeah, they can't fly. <laughs> Anyways. Um, you hope that they've heard someone say help in the past so they can communicate. Yeah, right. Um, anyways, so this place of Aka or Aka or whatever you want to say. Do your best. Yeah. Um, this is where most of your Aarakocra are going to live. Yeah, otherwise, though, they tend to make their Aries on mountaintops or high up in ancient trees, but they tend to avoid traveling to other planes except in extreme circumstances. They will charge through portals into the material plane to follow and hunt down their enemies, and they'll often stand guard on the other side of portals to make sure no one gets into a Ka or, yeah. or however you want to pronounce it, right? So, so they are, in a big way guardians of their homelands yes very so i don't want to say they're xenophobic or even territorial but they are protective well yeah i mean when you don't have a large population you're going to really care for the the ones you got left yeah and i actually found um in there that whenever it talks about populations of aracocra it talks about how one third is male one third is female and one third is children oh yeah, so they've they've got a lot of, of youngsters that don't all seem to make it to adulthood. I guess when they push them out of the nest to see if they could fly, a lot don't uh, don't pass that test. I I guess maybe. So anyway, it was just a weird distinction, right? So yeah. Anyways, um, there is a number of Aarakocra, at least in the Forgotten Realms. There's a number of Aarakocra in a monastery in Chult. Um, this is where they're going to pop up in Tomb of Annihilation. Okay. Um, what they do is they live in 12 nests, which they call their family groupings. They tend to live in close quarters to each other. 
um, when they're stuck on the material plane, like this monastery in Chult. It's up on um, a cliff face. It's up on a cliff face, and like it's a sheer cliff. You have to be able to fly to get to it. Yeah. Right? Um, so you'll often see a lot of these kind of nests, these groupings. They'll end up flying with just them and, and doing their hunting parties with their little family nest. Everything's kind of isolated towards their little family nest. And you'll see them soaring in these loose groupings for days or even months on the updrafts in the plane of air. Yeah, but they don't have the, the small groupings like they do on the material plane. Yeah. They don't have that on the plane of air. So there will just be hundreds of them flying about there. Um, and that's the majority of them. Like we're talking their entire species is probably a few thousand. Yeah. Um, but you're going to get these smaller groups that range in the dozens on the, the material plane, but they stay very close knit. Like they know that they're outsiders. There are references to Aarakocra settlements in the star mounts within the high forest, the storm horns of Cormier and the cloven mountains on the Vilhan reach. But there's little information about these groups or even these fucking locations mm-hmm. in 5th edition. So you really have to give us it. a Forgotten Realms book, please. Not Yeah, and not Sword Coast because... Yeah. Huh. Anyway, the only thing that we know in 5th edition is that the Aarakocra that are in the Star Mounts are waging war with a green dragon that decimated their numbers. Well, that's a bad day. Yep. These groups, including the one in Chult have closer ties to the Forgotten Realms and the Plane of Air. And so they're they're actually worked into it. That This is their home now, but they're still small, insular populations. Yeah. I mean, the the one in uh, Chult, I'm basing this off memory here, is, uh, I mean, it's a monastery. It's got a lot of connections to the meta plot of what's going on in Tomb of Annihilation. Um, but these are definitely like, Several gen- several generations of Aarakocra have passed here. Yes. Several. And there is right? an, like like we said before, there's an elder that they listen to, right? Yeah. And, who's supported by a shaman and like, and that's standard. That is standard Aarakocra hierarchy, essentially. Yeah. So with them being based in this realm, we've got to worry about what they're doing. And so you got to think about the Aarakocra as a territorial group of rangers if you're playing them as a DM. Right. Um, they protect their homelands and each other by using hit and run tactics um, and keeping mostly to themselves. They're going to be fairly isolated from general civilization. They're friendly enough to proven allies, but see themselves as protectors and guardians. And Chults, they're known for helping explorers and adventurers in need as long as they show respect to the wilderness and their landscapes. Yeah. Like these guys are. Like you said, they're hit and run. They, yeah. They're on the move all of the time, except when they go back to roost. Mm-hmm. And that really does seem to be how they are. Even in the um, plane of air, they're there to protect the outskirts, to keep people out, to keep the homeland safe. That's how rangers are about their forests, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or or their desert or wherever it is that, that your ranger's from. Yeah. Typically a forest. What's interesting is that Aarakocra have actually two inherent enemies one for the and and that's all we get besides this green dragon that terrorizes the people over there we've got gargoyles that terrorize the um aarakocra in the plane of air yes because they're from the plane of earth and they're actually referred to as flying stone by the aarakocra these are like polar opposite enemies yes they hate each other 
um, viciously. And there are portals between the two um, planes. And so these are battlefields. But there's not a whole lot of gargoyles naturally. There's not a whole lot of Aarakocra. So these are skirmishes that they see as being big battles. Yeah. Yeah. Like we gathered 120 of us to go fight 40 of them. Yeah. Right. It feels like Antmoot. And yeah. like they call it, you know, we got battalions together, right? Yeah. Um, but there's also the Terra Folk, which are colloquially known as the Terror Folk, which I thought was kind of neat. It says that in the Tomb of Annihilation. Yep. Um, but they're, they are, you know, pterodactyl people. Anthropomorphic pterodactyl people. Yeah. And they're malicious raiders and marauders. So while the Aarakocra will help people, and that's their basic general setting if you're nice to the environment and to us we will help you the terra folk do not help they are there you are a victim um they are also large-sized and in my humble opinion uh under cr for the amount of challenge they actually pose a party when you meet them in tomb of annihilation dms if you are running tomb of annihilation and you're about to have a terra folk uh encounter remove one and it'll still be a difficult challenge to your party yeah, I, I'm going to say that it's going to take, considering that the Aarakocra only have a CR of one quarter yeah. in the Monster Manual, it's going to take a number of them to take down one of these big fuckers. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've also been given uh, three different groupings of Aarakocra in the lore so far. There's the 56-person settlement in Chult, which is the only specific settlement we could really find. Uh, but there are also mentions of scouting parties and war bands in Princes of the Apocalypse. Um, there, if you look at their groupings in their monster manual thing, you see that scouts, uh, scout groups are small of 1d4 plus one Aarakocra, um, who are on a hunt for elemental cultists or other elemental bad guys. War bands are made of 1d6 plus three Aarakocra. So a war band is nine dudes max. Plus. Well, I mean, plus an air elemental. That's not nothing, Dan. <laughs> that is not nothing. That, that is... Super freaking beefy. They're that's like they're out there doing the same thing as as the scouts, yeah. right? But you have a fucking air elemental. Yeah. Um. They. Uh. This is super interesting because in the monster manual it says that any five Aarakocra within thirty feet of each other can perform a, a wind dance. I guess. Um. Where they dance for three consecutive rounds and summon an air elemental. That's nuts. That is one of the fastest summonings that's out there. Yep. Especially for like. Just the inherent ability that any Aarakocra can do this. Yeah. Um, this air elemental that they summon is always friendly toward them and can be dismissed by any of them. And it could stay for up to an hour. Yep. Which is ridiculous. When it returns to the planet air, any adjacent Aarakocra can return with it. So it also functions as a portal back home. But only for Aarakocra. But only for Aarakocra. And... Um, it's, I mean, man, it's it, it's an elemental alliance we don't really ever see, like, that close of a thing. Right? Yeah, like, normally you are binding them in Eberron, or you're unleashing them, right? Like, yeah. you're not working with them the way that Aarakocra do. Yeah. So, I really, really, really like this idea of summoning the air elemental. And if I have an Aarakocra in the party, I'm going to give four or five Aarakocra NPCs. We won't go with you. But let's get you an air elemental for this really tough battle you're going to do. Oh, that'd be cool. Right. So the party then gets a pet air elemental that will stay as long as the Aarakocra is conscious. Otherwise, it'll fuck off. 
Oh, I, I like the idea of just like going with them just to like boost that Aarakocra for that fight. Maybe this is like the Aarakocra's arc in this like a couple uh, sessions around the table. Yeah. Right. And and focusing on, okay, we're getting this air elemental. So we've got to make these, this group of Aarakocra like us. And then we get the air elemental to take on the boss. And when the boss is done, the air elemental's gone. Yeah. I, it's, it's a really cool idea besides just giving them a temporary magic weapon, which I see a lot. Yeah. The other thing about it too is that when you go down there, you don't get to take a short rest. You need catnap, right? Yeah. You spell catnap. Um, but they need to finish a one hour short rest in order to summon another one. So you can't even really spam these. I would absolutely love to have Aarakocra as villains somehow, even though they're like neutral good. And then you keep running into groups of them. And if you see that there are more than, you know, eight of them together, you better drop some numbers or keep them separate Mm -hmm. because they will spend three consecutive rounds and they're going to start throwing air elementals at you. And it doesn't necessarily say how big the air elemental is either. That's really left open to interpretation. I'm going to say the basic large. Yeah. But I mean, if I'm a devious DM... Well, I mean, if you have a bunch of ancient Aarakocra who have mastered the art of the dance and included a few other things, and now they're summoning, I don't know, uh, the Leviathan? No, that's the water one. It's the uh, Elder Tempest. Tempest. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's nasty. Yeah. You're a nasty DM. Yeah. And I love you. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so, Aarakocra are traditionally nomadic. They are always up in the air and they're soaring and they're kind of rare. Which leads them to not really understanding or respecting the idea of political borders or personal property. This is going to start sounding like Kender. And I'm trying to control my rage. This is bullshit. (laughs) And they always do this in D&D. And I hate it. By not respecting the idea of personal property, it fucks up the campaign. If you are a player, do not lean into this. Understand that it's a social quirk. But don't wreck your party on this. Yeah, it's, it's something to role play. It's not something to actually do, right? Like, yeah. So while well, they do believe in natural balance, and and they are communal, and everything is is out there. No one can own the air or the rivers or the fish. So who can own a hog on a farm or berries in a bush, right? So then that's kind of where they come from. So all of these are just available meals to them. Just because they're on your farm doesn't mean that it's yours. You just tend to them the way that they tend to their their howling gyre. Yeah. They might like shiny things, but inherent value doesn't hold any weight for them. Except? Well, the idea of ownership is is incredibly weird, but before we get into the one exception... Yeah. It says this in the book. For all of you fuckers that are out there like, oh, I can steal everybody else's stuff... It does say they can control their impulses and and they will stop taking shinies and snatching away resources if they understand how it affects others. Yeah. So the first time that another character turns them and says, hey, don't, that's mine. They will say, what do you mean mine? Have a quick conversation about it and then say, I don't get it, but okay. And then probably, is this yours too? And like picking up the the log that they were sitting on. Right? Yeah. Like, is, is this yours? Is that... And so, is the halfling yours? Because you talk to him a lot, right? Like, they won't really get a whole lot of the yeah. idea of this. It can be fun little role-playing. Don't let it be an issue at the table. Exactly, yeah. Now, we do want to talk a minute about this heavy asterisk about um, the one object of value that Aarakocra have since their inception in Dungeons & Dragons been chasing after. 
and that is the Rod of Law, or as it's more commonly referred to, the Rod of Seven Parts. Um, it's a powerful artifact that has very cultural significance to the Aarakocra, um, but despite their quest for pieces of the rod, they tend to be neutral good. Yep. Which is a bit of a, a bit of a weird place to f- place your mind. It's fine. Um, their morality comes from nature, not law. That's kind of the explanation there. Um, so they exist beyond normal laws, but aren't particularly chaotic. Right. right. That makes sense. No. So I did a deep dive. Yes, in, you did. Into the history of this and why they give a shit. I had to look it up. It's not available in 5th Ed, but here's the basic ruling um, or the basic lore behind it. Wind dukes are creatures from the elemental plane of air. Yeah. They are black skinned, and I mean like deep, dark, like the blackest black. They're androgynous, muscular, elemental beings of pure lawfulness. They're also known as Vati. I couldn't find any other real information except this on yeah. Vati. Okay. So there's nothing in fit that about this. Um, but they are Im- immortal and most over 3,000 years old. They tend to wear only belts or harnesses for carrying tools. And their velvety hair is very short and closely cropped. So these are just like almost dark shadows wearing belts with swords. You yeah. know, like I can see them having a scabbard, right? Or a pouch. But it kind of gives me like a a Dr. Manhattan feel to a certain extent. Yeah, a a little bit, sure. Um, Their eyes glow white with the light of law, whatever that means. Seven of them, way back when, built a special rod. Guess which one? Yep. And uh, because there are seven. Yep. And they ended up using it as a spear to kill the Queen of Chaos's greatest general. It was Miska, the wolf spider, who was a demon lord. When the rod of law mixed with the chaos of Miska's blood, the rod was shattered and scattered throughout the cosmos. So it's littered throughout the material plane or the multiverse. You can go plane hopping to find parts. The Aarakocra still look for these pieces to this day. So I didn't want to dig into who is the queen of chaos. I didn't want to dig into what happened to to the Vati because there's very little about that. You got to go digging into old books. Yeah. But um, this is another failing of 5th edition, not including this information. Well, the, the part that's really, really frustrating about this is the Rod of Seven Parts is one of the biggest oh, it's huge. artifacts. Everybody knows about the, high, about the Iron Hand of Vecna, right? This is another one of these things. And yet it doesn't even fucking exist. I was shocked. When I found out that it didn't exist. So I did uh, I did my own deep dive. But of course, me being the power gamer that I am, I did a deep dive into the mechanics of the Rod of Seven Parts. Um, and I did want to go over that real briefly here. So because I'm a power gamer, I did do a little bit of deep diving into the uh, mechanics of it. And to be completely honest, 5v has nothing. It's not in the uh, DMG. It's not in... Princes of the Apocalypse, it's nowhere. As to this point, we have not gotten an official 5th edition version of the Rod of Law or the Rod of Seven Parts. So to get sort of information to build your own, if you want to put this incredibly popular and um, memorable and historic legendary item in your games, you got to go back to previous editions. So don't worry about it. I did it for you. First edition... We got a lot of this lore that we talked about, about like the wolf spider and the kings of chaos and the Vati building it. 
that's where a lot of this lore originated. Um, but not much else. Uh, first edition mechanics don't really help us to translate over to what we play today. Um, in second edition, we learned that the parts fit together in an ascending length and that these pieces are four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve, and fifteen inches long. Sorry, and do it again. Four, five, six. Four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve, and fifteen inches long to each part. Okay. Okay. So, so that's a huge rod. This is not a rod, this is a staff. Um, it's, yeah, it's closer to a quarter staff. In fact, um, we'll get to that in a minute because second edition gives us more stuff than that. Um, we also learned that the rod will slowly warp people's alignments, characters' alignments to lawful. 50 inches. Sorry, I just did the math. 50 inches. 50 inches. So it's just so shy. It's, so it's just over four just, feet. Just over four feet. Yeah. So quarter staff. Uh, no. Quarter staffs are long. Quarter staffs are about four feet. No. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. So what, a full staff then is is 16 feet? <laughs> is that what you're telling me, Dan? It, it It's not the way the math breaks out, Adam. It could be. You don't know. I, I do know. Going to the Google machine. Anyways. How long is oh, a... Oh, 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 that's a bad... That's a risky Google. Quarter staff. My guess, four to five feet. That's a penis. Uh, oh, six to nine feet, it says. Six to nine feet. Okay, so it's a yep. short quarter staff. About two to three meters long for those of you who are normal. Um, now, the other thing to consider is Aarakocra themselves are quite short. So so that's huge for them. Like, well, it, it, it's about an appropriately sized walking staff. Well, if it's set six feet, if it's a nine feet, it's almost twice the size of one. Right? Well, no, I'm saying like a uh, the rod of seven parts if put together. Yeah. Right? So... Anyways, uh, so what it will do is it will slowly change character's alignment to lawful. Um, and it's, I mean, it's the r- rod of law. Of course, it will do that. We also got some powers from it. The four-inch piece gives you cure light wounds once a day. The five-inch piece gives you slow once a day. Six-inch, haste once per day. Eight-inch, gust of wind five times a day. Yep. That's, yeah. That's pretty powerful. And tracks with the fact that air elemental gods kind of yep. made this thing. Well, they're not, they're not well, like gods. They're just like super beings. alien. Yeah. 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 Um, the 10-inch piece will give you true seeing once a day. The 12-inch piece hold monster once a day. And the 15-inch piece will give you a heal once per day. Now, a lot of these spells translate quite well to 5e, so there's not a lot of work to do here. But you can also gain powers based off the construction. Put two parts together and you can now fly at will. Three parts, you have 20% magic resistance. At least that's what it said in uh, second edition. You have resistance to, you have advantage on saving throws against spells. Yeah. Okay. Um, Four parts, you get control wind, which is control weather, really. Uh, Two times a day. If you got five five pieces together, you can uh, shape change twice a day. Six pieces, you could wind walk once per day. And then if, if it's fully restored, you got all seven pieces, you get restoration once per day. Oof. Oh, and an aura that makes everything not lawful run away from you in that, fear. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, because in 5th edition, we don't really have auras anymore. And I probably would take that out. But restoration as the end cap for putting this all together feels weak. Uh, you know, I was going to say all of this feels weak. So, just as a sidebar, as an extra bonus, I built my own rod of seven parts for our last campaign. Yeah. So, I changed a couple of things. 
I still did the four inch part does cure wounds once a day. And then the five inch does slow once a day, six inches haste. But instead of five gusts, which I thought was the only overpowered thing, mm-hmm. um, the eight inch, I gave true seeing once a day and I doubled it for the 10 inch. True seeing is pretty powerful in fifth edition on its own. Yep. So having the ability to do it twice is a big deal, especially because I play kind of fucky campaigns. Yeah. So um, the 12 inch I gave heal and not the 15th because I gave the 15 inch greater restoration. You just get it. You don't have to put all the pieces together. Yeah. But then I wanted to also say that whatever you have, however many pieces you have, um, as you put them together, all of the smaller pieces. So if you have like the five inch and the six inch and you put them together and you attach them, the five inch gets an extra once per day. Yeah. Right. So that you get more uses the further along in the campaign you go. Cause it was a campaign MacGuffin. Well, the, 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 very important thing to note here is if you have the smaller pieces and you connect them into one bigger piece, you don't lose the abilities of the smaller piece for the abilities of the bigger piece. No, they all just stack. Like they you all just get stack. more and yeah. more and more. So um, I wanted to lean into it. So I said that if you have a single piece, you get advantage on religion checks. It just kind of made sense to me that you would have that for elemental nonsense. Um, second piece was fly, which is what you had. Like if yep. you have two pieces, you have to fly. Three pieces, I gave you spare the dying once per day because I wanted it to be particularly healy we didn't have a healer in the party for this big epic thing so i wanted to really lean into that four pieces was lesser restoration because you get greater restoration off just having the 15 inch Mm -hmm. five pieces gives you cure mass wounds which was just a little nuts six pieces was anti-magic field once a day i just really like the the in I envisioned Gandalf stabbed, like hitting his staff yeah. on the ground and it creates this bubble that the Balrog couldn't cut through. And I went, if you have an artifact staff, you should be able to do this shit, right? And then the seventh piece was uh, was Wish. But once you use it, the rod pieces scatter. That's actually something they do do uh, later in the um, game as well. Can I just point out with- you said doo-doo? Yes, you can. Um, oh, okay. In later editions. In fact, let's let's talk about what they did to this thing in 3rd edition now. Yeah. Because um, 3rd edition is kind of closest to what we have now with 5th. So, in 3rd... Which in, is bizarre to say that because they're so fucking different. In but. the Arms and Equipment Guide, um, in 3rd edition, they kind of detailed out all of the above was f- mostly unchanged. Um, you would still got the daily abilities and everything else. But if you weren't lawful and you grabbed the rod... You would have to make a DC 17 wisdom save, which is basically just, or sorry, DC 17 will save, which is basically just a wisdom save. Um, or you just become lawful. I'm glad that they got rid of all of this fucking alignment based shit because that's yep. just, it's just kind of dumb. Well, on the bright side, if you were lawful, if either through being changed or just being lawful before you grab the rod, you can now detect the direction of the next piece. That would be incredibly useful. I should have added that onto mine. Yeah. Um, now, they also made it so that they could become a weapon. There was no weapon stats for it beforehand. It was just a bunch of magical items that at one point in time was supposedly a spear, which is important. Yeah. But now it could be used as a weapon. So, um, Do you think it's a 15-inch piece or the 4-inch piece that has the blade to it? I don't think any of them do. And that's that's what I was going to talk about later. Okay. Because if you collect all seven pieces and you put them together in third edition, it is a plus five quarter staff. Yeah. I think there's an eighth piece to the rod that is the blade. So you could be walking around with just the tip? Just to see how it feels. Yeah. Is it big, Dan? That's more girthy. 
It does bludgeoning damage. <laughs> That's not a spear, my friend. That, but, is, that is my great club. But anyways, um, they also gave it the ability to cast True Resurrection fully assembled. But like you said with your wish, if you use the rod to cast True Resurrection, the pieces would scatter back into the multiverse and you'd have to find them again. Which I feel like no one is going to take that risk if you hunted down all of these pieces for your campaign. Yeah. Unless you're getting it so you can get True Resurrection as the big plot point in the campaign. Mm -hmm. Right? So. I would be remiss to to avoid mentioning 4th Edition in this discussion. Because 4th Edition does have a version of the Rod of Law. We learn that, well, 4th is bad, but each segment was basically changed uh, changed to be a plus one magic rod. Weak. Yep. For each new piece, it would add up consecutively so to be a plus, plus seven, seven. Yeah, okay. magical rod. Boo. Thank you, 4th edition. It would also increase your critical damage for spells per segment, an additional 1d6 per segment, or 1d10 if you're fighting elementals. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sit right with me. Maybe if you're fighting air or uh, earth elementals, because because you're. I would like it more if it was fiends, demons, because of the just, lore of the staff. Yeah, the law to chaos. But I guess it wasn't the rod of law in fourth edition. It was very specifically was the rod of law. Oh, fourth edition! What even are you? It also gave you a cumulative plus one bonus to diplomacy, intimidate, and religion checks. I like that though. I like I like the bonuses to skill checks, but D- this- diplomacy was what do we have now? Persuasion, persuasion, yeah, persuasion and insight, I guess. <clears throat> so like, eh, I don't think there's really anything you could pull except for maybe giving you skill points for every three sections or fully co- connected. You could give yourself a, a advantage on some skills, or proficiency in, or in proficiency, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as for fifth edition, we've seen diddly. Uh, but if you do want to build their own, you at least now have a springboard from whence you can, you know, bounce off of. That said, there is a few builds on DM's Guild um, if you really wanted to check out on those. They're either going to be weirdly specific for a campaign or ridiculously overpowered. overpowered. Yeah. That's how DM's Guild works. Grain of salt with those, for sure. Look at the ratings. Look at look at the comments and, and the reviews on them because there's a lot of discerning eyes on G, uh, DM's Guild that will inform you on whether or not the product's a good thing to pick up. The other thing I'm going to say about the Rod of Seven Parts is if you're going to have an Eric Oker in the party, it's a great way to bring them into the campaign. Yeah. I really liked using it to have a big resurrection thing, which you guys ended up doing in yours and the Rod shattered. and Yep. Right, you ended up using the the ultimate power for it, and then it was done. But it was a great big MacGuffin. You had to hunt down seven different pieces. It's huge to get them to do that. So don't expect that they're going to use the final like big ass spell that that you get from it, and reward them with the little bits as they go. Mm-hmm. Make sure that it is epic feeling enough without unbalancing the party. So if you're going to hand this out. I would sit down and look at what other legendary items can actually give, what artifacts are doing. I'd go to the um, Mystic Odysseys of Theros. Yeah. Because they've got godly weapons in there that are super fucking powered. Yeah. And I would say aim for 80% of those. But there's a lot of really cool ideas that are in there as well if you want to beef up the standard shit that earlier editions would have given you. Yeah. So, okay, Dan, well, let's talk about playing as an Aarakocra. 
for players, besides the 50-foot fly speed and 25-foot walking speed, there's little else to be excited about for the Aarakocra. They get a Wisdom Increase of 2 and a Dex Increase of 1. They deal 1d4 slashing damage with unarmed talent attacks, which they are proficient with. And they get those three languages, though some of them are really rare, so they're not going to come up often. Even the suggested backgrounds of Outlander, Hermit, and Sage are well, standard. Those are boring. That's what everybody picks. Those They're the best. Yeah, but I mean... Mechanically, those are the best backgrounds. You'll notice that this is one of the handful of races that doesn't get Dark Vision. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not getting any um, cool increases or um, cultural relevance outside of the languages. It seems to be based entirely around fly. Yeah. Is that balanced? No. Is it too powerful still? Yes. You think so? 100%. When you consider all the crazy shit that a Ladrin can do, or you look at what all of the, like, the crazy increases to strength and shit that orcs get... Or, I mean, fuck, every elf, mountain dwarves with their con shit. Like, there's a lot. The lucky feet. There are a lot of things out there. There are a lot. Um, The, and I said this earlier, the ability to fly solves 70 to 80% of the problems presented to a tier one player. You think so? Yes. Show your work. Show your work. What's your math on that? Support your shit, Dan, because I don't necessarily agree with you on that. You have a fly speed of 50 feet, so you are immediately, no matter what class you are, one of the fastest people at the table. You could be a paladin and still be one of the fastest people around the table. Yeah, man, but I've had I've had people that can move more than that. Monks are going to... True. Now, if you go monk, you're moving even faster. And you know how much trouble I caused as a, a gnome rogue. You were a gnome rogue fighter, right? Like, right. You got some movement to you. Right. So, like... You could build these guys to be obscenely quick. I mean, they're not tabaxi quick, but they're the next best thing. The ability to fly. You have a fly speed of 50, which means your um, vertical climb speed is 50. You fight any goblins, uh, anyone with a bow, a lot of spells, all have a range of 30. In a turn, you're getting beyond range. You are able to, um, and this is a MMORPG term, you're able to kite. Um, with, it's funny as a bird character as well. You're able to kite things around by just being able to move faster and stay out of their reach vertically. Yep. Right? Which means you're not going to be taking any melee hits. You're just not. Something else would have to fly to do a melee hit. And those encounters are going to be few and far between a tier one. The second something could fly, it's ten, it tends to go more towards the... Uh, CR4, CR5 era of things, which now you have like four or five of those things in a combat, you're in tier two. Um, add spells, which a lot of spells have a longer range. If you are an Aarakocra wizard or an Aarakocra... Um, you're probably a sorcerer or a sorcerer ranger or something. or something like that. You just fly up and you could peck, thing, uh, peck things off with your spells, right? There is so much you can do that just... New, like, 90% of traps that are pressure plate sensitive don't work. You have to do light, breaking light beams or tripping a uh, trip wire that somehow the flying creature triggers. There are so many tier one threats that are just nullified by the ability to fly, right? Um, so what I'm saying is if you do want to play one of these things, be clear with your uh, DM and DM DMs. If one of your player wants to play one of these, be aware of how you build your encounters 
not to counteract it, but to involve that person more in the combat. Because when I played a guy with wings, I found nine times out of 10, my turns were, I, I just stay up there and fly and sing, play my fiddle, done, right? Yeah, all right, look, there's also a downside to having wings though, Dan. There's a big, there are a couple of downsides. The three big ones that stick out to me. One, you can fucking fall. And at 1d6 per 10 feet, sure, you went up 50, but when you come down, that is 5d6. At tier one, that's a kill. You're unconscious. Especially if you're a if, sorcerer. Oh, yes. If you fall. If you yes. fall. Yep. Right? So, but like, okay, you, continue. Yep. So that's one. Two, I don't care what your strength is. You are getting fucking encumbered if you pick up anything. Right? So even if you're a paladin and you have your breastplate and sure, you do you and you've got a strength of 18 and sure, you that that's fine. But if you try to fly with someone, for example, yeah, you're at you're moving at half speed. It's twenty five feet. I'm like that's and that's just how there's, I'm gonna. There's rule no it. hard and fast rule on that one. You got hollow bones and you're a bird person. I would say there's a certain amount of. Uh, you're right. I would agree to an extent. If someone is rocking a nineteen or a twenty strength barbarian aracocra, I'm not limiting their movement speed for carrying around a gnome not for a gnome but a cow i mean yes a cow a paladin i would i oh, absolutely yeah. would well what i'm saying is there's there's it has there's to make sense. some yeah, logic there's, there's, there's gray apply to it but i'm telling you right now you're going to fall and the idea of picking things up and i'm just going to take this this one character with me if that's not how this works no or you're going to get really penalized which brings me to the second point you're splitting the party every single time so, you can go up and you don't get hit. That's fine. This balanced encounter for your four-person party is now an imbalanced encounter for a three-person party. While you're still doing a bunch of damage, only three people are taking damage. So, you got to think about it like that. If you've got these... If you've got a sorcerer, a wizard, and a rogue, and you are the ranger or fighter, because those are the things that are promoted, yeah. um, then and you go up... There's no meat shield. Those guys are going to drop every fucking time. Yeah. Right? So splitting the party is a big, big issue. And frankly, my favorite thing, the thing that really sets us aside for Aarakocra, is that when you go up, everyone can see you. You can't fly when you're fighting scouts. You can't fly if there's a dragon anywhere in the horizon. The moment you take off, everyone knows where the party is. I... I mean, we talked about the fact that there is in, I, th- I think it said Princes of the Apocalypse, the, the 15 DC. Uh, it's Tomb of Annihilation, but yeah. Tomb of Annihilation, yeah, yeah to, to see them. I mean, I'm going to reduce that DC if you are a shiny plate mail wearing Aarakocra. That's shooting fireballs downward yeah, or, yeah, yeah, right. or, or hovering and like, like dive bombing over and over again. Because if the dragon knows the party's around, it now knows where the party is. If there are scouts that are looking for them, they're going to say, what's that shit? Right, and now the hobgoblin army is coming at you. Yes, but at the same time, you have um, the great uh, go-to awesome encounter of cross this chasm without a bridge in a cave. Well, that's solved. Eric Hooker flies over with one a, player can solve with a rope. Now sure. you've now you've now you've crossed that rope over. Now everybody gets a little bit of an easier time going across or whatever. Yeah, it is, but right? they were gonna shoot an arrow across anyway. Like it that doesn't break an encounter for me. My encounter is still these motherfuckers are hanging on a rope. <laughs> right? One guy happens to not be. 
Yeah. But that's it. My idea of you're out in the wilderness and you fly, let's say you're desert or wasteland or hell, even on the ocean, everything can see you. There's nothing to hide behind. That's a big deal. And so every griffin, manticore, chimera, anything else that can fly will see you there, right? Your random encounters are far more liable to come at you and they will be flyers or they will come en masse, Mm -hmm. right? Giants will know that you're there. One of the things that Aarakocra don't get, though, as far as the flying, they don't get increased senses at all. Not only do they not get dark vision, but it's, they can only see as far as everybody else It's can. It's weird that the uh, the player characters with eagle eyes don't get eagle eyes. Yeah, I agree with you. But what that means is that, sure, you're still, you still have to get close if you're going to scout. And the closer you get, the easier it's going to be for them to find you. So I don't think this is game breaking. I just think the DM has to think differently with it. And and I think that's what we we're, we're trying to get the point across. Like the 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 other thing I'd like to mention is, have Adam, have you ever heard an eagle beat its wings? Wings? No, that's not what I've heard. An eagle beat. There's a story that I don't want to hear. Philadelphia Eagles beating their chest. No, no, when uh, they won yeah, the, okay, yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Um, um, eagles are loud flyers. You can hear them. From meters away beating their wings. Now, as an Aarakocra, you are bigger than an eagle. You have a uh, wingspan bigger than an eagle. Your flapping of wings is going to cause more noise. Truth. I agree. Plus, whatever you're carrying that's going to jingle jangle. Strap your shit down. Oh, you fly around. Like, you have that one on, like, not fully strapped in potion. Well, no, you don't have it anymore because you decided to do a barrel roll. Yeah, or just that, like, your backpack is too full, so you've strapped, you've strapped your iron pot to the outside of it, right? And you, when you land, there's going to be shit like that. A DM just has to think about it differently. How do you fly with a backpack on? Uh, they will have special backpacks for that. Oh, yeah, I, okay. I don't, I don't. Um, punish the Aarakocra or the ASMRs or any of that shit. I just let them fucking have it. Sure. Right? Okay. Um, frankly, they're just going to end up going to buy a bag of holding anyway. So it's not a big It's a moot point, yeah. Um, where does this leave us as players then? Do we want to roll initiative on this one? Yeah, let's roll initiative. Let's do it. Ah, three. I got a ten. Okay, as a player for me, yes, I'm going to min-max a little bit. If I'm going to play an Aarakocra... I am going to do it specifically on purpose for a reason. I, my build is going to be for that. So I'm going to be looking at magic or I'm going to be looking at a ranger. Yep. Right? Same. There are some really cool options for things like gloom stalkers as well or the arcane archer for the for the fighter. But I want to point out that thematically, these guys are horizon walkers. Oh yeah, for sure. So that is the kind, that is the ranger build. When you take in Tasha's, where you get sidekicks and they kind of rebuild what a Beastmaster gets to do and whatnot, you get a whole lot of options for having other flying creatures with you as well. So you can have a little a little flock, which is kind of neat. It's kind of fun. Um, one of the things, though, that I'm going to point out to my DM if I'm a player is I don't want to be confined. I don't like being underground. It's built right into the Aarakocra. Yeah. They hate that shit. So if you've got underground dungeons and I can't fly up 30 feet, if you've got me tied with ropes... For a majority of the campaign. Not even for the majority of the campaign. For like two sessions in a row, my guy's going to get squirrely. And I, as a player, will start to play more reckless. Yeah. My players need to know that I'm dealing with a phobia that I'm choosing to to play with. And I'm not going to be a dick about it. 
but I want to have that flavor. That's a big part of what it means to be an Eric Coker, the same way that you don't understand the, the idea of property and whatnot. Yeah. The other way to play this um, is to really embrace this idea of dive bombing and, and hit and run tactics um, and play a Dragoon in the traditional sense. Uh, get Polar Master and... Is it the mobile feat or Sentinel feat? No, it's mobile feat where you don't get attacks of, or you don't get opportunity yeah. attacks. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, really, really go in that direction where your character flies. Like if you want to hit that one tactic... Your character flies up into sunlight so you are hard to see and then dive bombs. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's a really, really cool uh, aesthetic to it. And you get to play that polearm-wielding fighter, which everybody online in the min-max groups knows is is fun. Yeah. I would also say that you've got to think about things like, are you going to bunk down in a tavern? Or are you going to want to be up Bunk on the... down on a tavern. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now they are people. They do need roofs and, and shelter and whatnot. Especially in the material plane. We get that in the Tomb of Annihilation. And the way that they talk about having the uh, Ares and whatnot. But the Ares that are listed, like just the generic ones, are these massive tangles, these nests of vines and roots and branches yeah. that have an open like top to them. But remember, on the plane of air... There's not a storm. It's all just air, except like within this eye of this howling gyre, right? Yeah. So they're not worried about weather issues or people that are coming in from above. There are no enemies from above, right? Because they're as high up as you get. Uh, and so on the material plane, how is that going to make you feel? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I'm going to think about when I'm making an Aarakocra. Where am I coming from? Because there's a different flavor for every origin point. Of an Aarakocra. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what about as DMs? Where do we sit with DMs? How do we uh, build our in- our campaigns to both challenge and encourage an Aarakocra player? Sure, let's roll. Ah, uh, five. Well, I got a three, though, this time, so you're first. You hit it with a nail on the head. Give them puzzles that are solved with flying to a certain extent. Give them uh, feed into whatever their origin is. This, this location, whether the plane of air or Chult or wherever they're from, um, give them some sort of draw to embrace their Aarakocra nature from their or- origin. If they're from plane air, they're probably going to be chasing down the Rod of Seven Parts. So guess what? That's now in your campaign. Yep. Right? Um, if they're from Chult, then, or, or they're from this tribe that's been battling this green dragon, guess what? You've got a plot point right there. I'm going to say this. Sorry about the Rod of Seven Parts as well. Um, or the Rod of Law, however you want to look at it. You don't need to have it be the entire rod if it doesn't fit in your campaign. Mm-hmm. If you are doing Tomb of Annihilation or Curse of Strahd, you can find one. One of these parts is enough for an Aarakocra to be considered legendary among his people. Yes. Because you, you've you hunted this down. You can choose which one. I want this guy to get true seeing or heal or haste or whatever it is and you can give them a specific rod mm-hmm. and then have them have this like incredible artifact and and be able to wield it you don't have to give them the entire fucking rod but if you're going to homebrew a level 1 to 20 campaign think about giving them the whole rod over time yeah so my big thing is that you need to know I'm, I'm going to look at the modules I think that most DMs themselves are going to kind of understand what you're getting into when it comes to dealing with consistent flyers. But if you're running one of the books, you need to know what you're 
what you're dealing with. When you're dealing with, for example, Icewind Dale, the Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, there's storms everywhere and there's a great big, you know, there's a dragon battle mm-hmm. in that. Being able to fly is not necessarily a good thing. Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Out of the Abyss, these are going to fucking cripple your Aarakocra. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage that. But if you're going to play Storm King's Thunder, uh, Curse of Strahd, where there are a bunch of were-ravens around, so it's kind of neat. Like yeah. this Tomb of, Ni- Tomb of Annihilation really fits well. Yeah, of, of course, Princes of the Apocalypse, which is yeah. where this is from. But like these are really good places to do it. When it comes to things like Descent into Avernus, is that somewhere you want to be noticed? <laughs> right? It's not necessarily bad, but it's also not necessarily good. Okay, I will say this. If you're looking at Aarakocra, though, for any of the other campaign settings out there, they fit really nicely with both Ravnica and Theros. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of flying kind of shit, big open areas. Ravnica's a big metropolis. Theros is a great big Greek area. Like, the idea of a bird person among these Greek heroes is really cool. It fits. Eberron... It really suits that as well. There's not really a whole lot of emphasis put on Aarakocra anywhere. But that's by lore. They're not really on the material plane anyway. But when you got airships and you've got a lot of like getting from one place to another. pirates sound like a fun little. Yeah, it could be really neat. Aarakocra yeah. will fit nicely in there. I don't know Wildmount too well at this oh, point. They, they, they would fit in certain places there for sure. It feels a lot like the Forgotten Realms where there's going to be. I feel like. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Every race is a little insular. Yeah. Except for the PHB ones. Yeah. And even then, sometimes they are as well. They're, so you can have a little a little flock of Aarakocra over here or a little tribe of lizard folk over there. Right? And you can work that into your campaign. And it fits in the campaign setting. There are some things that I would... I'm, I'm not going to play an Aarakocra for the Lost Mines. Why would you? Yeah. But if you're going to be underground, if you're going to be dealing with these... I mean, Dragon Heist. You're in a city, sure, but you're you're in buildings. You're you're talking to the yeah. like it's well, not gonna Dragon be- Heist specifically as well. There's a lot of stealth involved in that campaign, and you are. We mentioned earlier the the fact that Aarakocra are rare everywhere. Right? Yeah, they're going to see you. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and that's another consideration to take into right. Like yeah. it, and and not in a bad way. People are going to take notes that you're there. They're not going to hate you or or have some sort of uh, prejudice necessarily against you. Um, like, say, no, they're just going to be like, hey, it's like when I see someone who's like seven feet tall. I'm like, hey, there's there's a bird dude. Well, I don't say that when they're seven feet tall. I'm like, that, that guy's big. But when he's walking through the store, I just know where he is all of the time, right? Yeah. If someone says, oh, oh there's a cleanup on aisle three. Well, I know that guy's been in the back or over in the dairy section the whole time. Like that guy didn't fucking do it. He's over there. Yeah, you're just gonna. And honestly, that should be taken into consideration for most adventuring parties yeah. in the first place. But with Aarakocra, especially because they're so rare. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would really say for DMs and players is keep your party politics in mind. You can play with little bits and pieces of the. Um, yearning for shiny objects or not understanding personal property or having weird um, tics verbally or little mannerisms. You said you don't have to do the big bird neck thing. I, I kind of would, though. Uh, I would start with it and then it would slowly well, become you would. less and less. Well, and it would somehow become a Jamaican accent by the end of yeah, you're doing it, Dan. But, <laughs> but um, I, I... You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would definitely play with that. 
to some degree, but I'm not going to be disruptive with it. Dungeon Masters, you have to understand that they want to play an Aarakocra because they like the flavor. Even if that flavor is just a mechanical flavor, that's what they want. Yeah. So you cannot bind them to the earth. If you have, and this is how I do it, if I have four players at the table, everybody gets the spotlight one quarter of the time and everybody gets neutered one quarter of the time. Mm-hmm. If you have one person does area of effect spells, that's not going to be effective one quarter of the time. That still lets them be hyper effective three quarters of the time, right? It's the same thing for flying or if you've got a rogue who's super stealthy or whatever it is, let them shine one quarter of the time, let it be average one quarter of the time and let it not be a viable option one order of the kind. But I will never, ever, ever penalize someone for it unless they're using it to be reckless or to spam. Yeah. And that's the other thing is don't just spam the same move over and over again. You probably don't have a choice for the first two or three levels. Yeah. And that's fair. But once things develop a little bit more, be creative. Yeah. And one of the things that I will put out front, if you're the kind of bastard who's going to say, I pick up the goblin, fly up 100 feet and drop him. Fine. You can go ahead and do that. But every flying NPC or monster that I will then have as a dungeon master also gets that tactic. And you cannot catch... Two people at once. You're not going to be able to catch the half-orc paladin in plate mail. So if you're going to introduce it into the campaign, that's fine. But if you start to abuse it, you need to know I will do it too. Yeah. Adam, would you allow an an air cooker in your games? Absolutely, I would. Yeah, me too. 100%. Especially if you're going to get to do um, pirate stuff. I think they they fit. You said, you know, air cooker sky pirates. Even just regular pirates. Do you, do you like the idea of them being limited to eagles and parrots, or would you? No, not at all. You you like the anthropomorphic average bird? Well, yeah. I mean, I I really like the owl ones. I do. I really like the if, pelican ones. Like a pelican aracocra sounds like a good time to me. Well, launch pad McQuack. Fuck off. So <laughs> fuck off. Now you have Ducktales theme stuck in my head. God damn it. Anyway. Boom 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 boom. <laughs> oh, that was Tailspin. No, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I got sorry. the DuckTales theme. So oh, I what? got Tailspin stuck in my head. Sorry. Oh, they're both so good. Anyway, no, look. Fuck <laughs> you. Fuck you, Dangerous. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to say. The Talon attacks, the Dex and, um, and Wisdom bonuses that they get, this is going to be for the Eagle Parrot variant. If you're going to homebrew, change that shit a little bit. I'll say this. If you want to be a duck, for example... Your fly speed is 30. You still get fly, but it's 30. But now you get a swim speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If you want to be a a crow, then you don't get the wisdom. You get the intelligence boost. Okay. Yeah, I see. All right. So I'm going to homebrew flavored a little bit differently, and I'm going to work player and DM together to make it make sense, but I'm not going to make it more powerful. You're not going to get 50-foot f- fly speed, an unarmed attack that you're proficient with, three languages and something else. Yeah. I'm not going to give you more than that because believe it or not, for good or for bad, 5th edition is relatively balanced. We may not always like the flat math, but the moment you start to fuck with it, the moment's going to get out of control. Yep. And that's how you end up with walking gods at level 17, right? Which is I it, it's not built into how it's supposed to work, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah, I would. I, 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 I agree with you 100 percent on that one. Um, 
I, I think we cannot stress enough not to penalize your players for playing something unique and different at your table. Um, Aarakocra is where a lot of that's going to come through because as a DM, you will find planning encounters for them frustrating initially. But once you get the rhythm down, once you start to figure it out, this whole math of how many people around the table do I have? Okay, that's, you know, I got five people. Well, a fifth of the time he's going to be an all-star, but a fifth of the time he's going to be kind of trapped. Sure, man. Like that, that helps, right? Yeah. You just got to make sure that at fifth of the time he's an all-star. Yeah. And don't just say the last four levels of the campaign. Yeah. Right? It has to be within the session. Yeah. If you've got a five-hour session, he gets an hour to be a, a star. Maybe exactly. not all consecutively. And but that goes for all everyone. players. That's just right? a DM tactic. And even like, there's something that's been going around a lot on the internet, which is like DMs are players in this game as well. They should get to have fun as well. We've said that way back in our first handful of episodes. Yeah. Um, that applies to this at the same time. And, and players of Aarakocra understand that your friend has put together this campaign so that you could play this guy. Don't be a dick to him when he rules something out of your favor once. If it's a habit, if it's, if it's, um, cons- if it's repeating this this judgment against you, then you're going to be in trouble. But then you do something about it. But don't just always expect every encounter to go your way, especially if you choose the flying player. Okay? Yep. Okay. I want you to know, Dan, that I've done everything in my power to not do bird puns. You've done a couple, and I've just been like... Like, losing my fucking shit about it. I've been sitting here waiting to beak off. Yeah. And I want you to know... I've just make, been making you eat crow the entire time. It's fine. Yeah. And it should have been ill eagle. So that'll be it for the mailbag episode dedicated to Alex at Onanimous on Instagram. Thanks to you and everybody else who participated. Stay tuned for future giveaways on Instagram and Facebook. And make sure you send us mailbag questions through direct messages on the official post on r slash It's a Mimic or at info at It's a Mimic.com. All right, Dan, grab your die. I have one more question. Okay. If it's not a parrot and it's not an eagle, what kind of bird would be the most ridiculously fun, the most unique? The Like, you're playing this for a comedy one-shot. Okay. What what kind are you building? I'm out of the box. I got a 15. I got a 6. Penguin. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would lean toward penguin. Um, kiwi. Uh, Dodo. Dodo would be oh, fun. Oh, Dodo would be fun. Emu would be fun. I would I, ask to be a mount. I would ask to be large size. Can I play a large size for a... I, I, I do think a pelican would be pretty funny too. Just like a big Mitch McConnell jowl just flopping around. He doesn't have a bag of holding. He just like keeps shit in his, in his mouth. mouth. One second, let me get my weapon. If, if I could do a proper like cluck, I would be a chicken. <laughs> Well, well, we've got uh, we've got our chicken Aarakocra, um in Tremblay in our campaign builder. Yeah, well, he's a he's an 
Is he a chicken or is he a... Yeah, no, we, we, we flavored him to be a chicken. Okay. So, like, we, we've already leaned in that. But we had a, we had a talking turkey in the in the uh, Christmas episode we did last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there could be a lot of fun with the different birds out there. I just think it's so weird that we didn't bring up bards with all the songbirds. Like, it just makes sense. If you're going to be a spellcaster. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, they get that bonus to uh, wisdom. They get that bonus to decks, like... Yeah, but if I but again, if I'm gonna flavor it to be a songbird, a cockatiel, or or a budgie, right? I'm gonna give them a charisma. Um, I have a question. Are you gonna put that guy in a party with your uh, werebear friend, who you might call Little John? Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. Okay, you're done. Eagles are loud flyers. You can hear them several... No, stop. Just stop.